Hello everyone, happy Tuesday and welcome back to the podcast Trash and Treasury with Grace and Miranda. The podcast where we bring you some smart stuff but also some absolute trashy garbage. (laughs) (laughs) And for our smart stuff today, we're going to be talking about GameStop. So you may have heard everyone talking about the latest scandal on Wall Street involving Reddit and shorting the market and a short squeeze and, you know, the free market and stocks. And we're going to talk about it. Can't wait to finally understand a little bit more about this topic Mm. (laughs) and what the hell shares Mm -hmm. are. And it's also... (laughs) Finally, D-Day. It's here. We're talking about <laughs> promising young woman. <laughs> highly know, anticipated. The highly sure. anticipated movie that I've been uh, recommending for about three weeks now, even though it feels like I've been waiting my whole life. It's finally here. <laughs> um, it's it's here. It's possibly my favourite film of all time. Um, strap yourselves in. There will be spoilers. Um, don't say I didn't tell you. Yeah. Can't wait. And then, of course, our hills and recommendations. But first things first, let me tell you about GameStop, please. So basically, this is a story about how Reddit screwed with Wall Street. And it's also a story where famously progressive politician Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez agreed with famously conservative politician Ted Cruz. So very controversial. Oh, okay. But in order to unpack this story and understand what went down with GameStop, first I think we need to just rehash some of the basic concepts at play here. So starting with the stock market. Yes. Just going to like explain some concepts, which like, (laughs) look, you probably know a lot of this and maybe our listeners know as well, but also maybe as we say on the podcast, maybe it's things you've kind of always wanted to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask at this point. And so like, let's just go, go over it. Such as, you know, what's negative gearing, what's shares, um, what's compound interest, Exactly. Um, you know. And so actually a lot of the concepts we're going <laughs> to discuss today were like things that were deemed too boring for our superannuation episode, but are kind yeah. of relevant, like shares. <laughs> the episode that never got aired. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's still in the vault if anyone's it's interested. It's in the vault. <laughs> but basically just to explain stocks and shares, like very briefly, imagine that you have a company And then you're like, I am going to tear this company into 20 little pieces and they're all going to be a token and they're all going to be worth money. So the company shares are part of a company and then they put them on the market and people can buy them and people can sell them and they go up in value over time generally unless there's some sort of global financial crisis, which does tend to happen from time to time. And I will just do a quick shameless plug that people should have stocks and you should read The Barefoot Investor. Um, It's particularly important for women because everyone has stocks. Uh, Our superannuation is very much invested in the share market, but women will retire with less super. So you also need to have stocks because your bank account will just not get enough interest to keep up with the rising price of goods and you will be in poverty unless you get stocks. It's a very, very good point. And yeah. 
yes, it's I mean, very dry. Look, we're not so qualified you- to give financial advice, but like barefoot investor, stock market, that's that part of the puzzle. <laughs> that's right. If it's too boring for you, just like seek counsel and get them to tell you what to invest in. <laughs> that's, and totally. make sure it's not and make sure it's not like a Ponzi scheme or something. <laughs> Such a good point. <laughs> um Next concept, hedge funds. So like we just talked about stocks and like normal people like just buy stocks, like stocks in Combank or stocks in Telstra, like call them the mum and dad stocks. But then there's like a whole bunch of professionals whose whole job is just like buying and selling stocks. They call them the mum and dad stocks? Mum and dad stocks are like... um, Basic bitch stocks, is that what? The basic bitch, yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The ones that we just all feel good about and all have. Yeah. Okay. But then we're taking it up a level now to like stockbrokers and hedge funds. So do you know why it's called a hedge fund? Because it's big like a hedge. Well, that's what I used to think as well. I was like, hedges are fancy, I mean, like of. a hedge, a hedge fund, fancy. Like fancy. Yeah, nah, no. Oh. Um, so hedging, hedge fund basically comes from the term hedge your bets. Oh. And the term hedge your bets is about basically betting on any outcome, win or lose, so that you're always going to make money. So I could explain this with a sport metaphor, but as we covered in Hills like two weeks ago, uh, neither of us care about that. So I'm going to explain it with an I'm a celebrity, get me out of here metaphor. <laughs> now you're speaking my language, Grace. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Which, even know what like, the thing was that you just said was. Like, I don't even know no. what that even is. <laughs> I don't even watch I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. But like side tangent, I think because of you on our podcast Instagram, you follow all these people and I've really gotten into Abby Chatfield and I've also gotten into her because she was on Reputation Rehab and like she's actually a feminist icon and I love her. She is. She is. She's got some good points, even though she was very annoying on The Bachelor. People can be well, both I didn't things. watch The Bachelor, so I just love they her. And annoying. they gave her a villain edit. Surely this – well, this comes down to another of your hill where you don't believe in villain edits. But uh, like no, have you watched the support. episode of Reputation Rehab where they talk about Abby? You need to watch that. This is a total side note, but uh, everyone should watch that. That's all right. Um, I've got a a hill I'll die on later. Okay, cool. But back to hedge funds. So say you were betting on the outcome of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and you're a hedge fund. So you're like the odds of Grant Denyer winning are three to one and the odds of Abby winning is two to one. I'm going to put money on both outcomes and then no matter what happens, I'm going to make money. That is basically what hedge funds do because we kind of said earlier that like generally your stocks will rise over time unless there's like a global financial crisis, but they they raise and dip all the time as well. They fluctuate. I mean, and hedge funds are right? basically about just like if you lose money, we make money. If you make money, we make money. We just make money. Okay. What I don't understand about this this is a crucial part for my understanding and I'm hoping a lot of people listening as well, unless you're listening going, who is this stupid person on the podcast? I wish she'd stop talking. <laughs> um, so my question is, I don't understand. I mean, a tab, you know, sports bet. I wouldn't call them mm. a hedge fund. 
right? They're not a hedge fund. They're a business and they're, they're yes. a gambling business. So what I don't understand about a hedge fund is if when you lose money, it's literally just taking a bet. So they're actually gambling. But when you invest in a company, it depends on the company's success. Like if you invest in a share and the share goes up, you then sell that share and you make money because you bought it for less money. If it goes mm-hmm. down, that's a that's a roll of the dice. It's gambling in a sense, but it's directly related to the business doing well or not, which makes sense. And it's not mm-hmm. gambling, gambling, because you're not just betting on the outcome of something for an arbitrary reason, which you would be doing in the example of I'm a celebrity, you know, and if you're betting mm-hmm. against a company, which, you know, I'm sure you're going to explain shorting the market, but betting against a company to lose how on earth do you make money from that like i don't understand because they're not a gambling business they're not sports bet sports bet is not a hedge fund great question so let's get into it okay so basically part of what these professional hedge fund brokers do is called short stocks and long stocks so long stocks are ones they think are going to make money and short stocks are ones they think are going to lose money but they can see a way to profit off it and basically what they do is they will go to people that own that stock and borrow it off them which is not something the mum and dad Telstra Combank investors do like we just buy stocks and then we sell them like but this is like professional your whole day is the stock market you can borrow stocks and you say to people I'm gonna borrow 100 stocks off you And then in one week, I'll give you the 100 stocks back and maybe I'll make money along the way, but I owe you 100 stocks. And so they borrow 100 stocks and say those stocks are worth $1 each. The value was $100. They sell them immediately for $100. Then they think that they're going to go down. And so... They wait and there's a crash and now those stocks are only worth 10 cents each. So the 100 stocks are only worth $10. They buy them back for $10. Then they return their original borrowing of 100 stocks. They said, I took 100 stocks. I gave you back 100 stocks. We're square. But meanwhile, they made $90. Oh. It's weird. And normal people don't do it. And that's basically, I think why GameStop is so huge and so I just want to say one fun fact about hedge funds that I forgot to mention just before we get right into GameStop so the reason it's even called hedge funds or hedge your bets is because it's about protecting what you had and the saying comes from the 1600s about literally growing a hedge around your property to protect what you have so you actually to do with hedges isn't that interesting yes so to hedge your bet to, you know, fence up your house. Yeah. yeah. So it is about hedges. <laughs> yeah. So fun I feel fact. like that's a fun fact. That is an extremely fun fact. Okay. Now back to this borrowing business. One, if I'm a person with a successful business and I have shares and I'm thinking, la da I'm amazing. I've got a great business. Someone says, hey, can I borrow some of your stocks for absolutely no reason other than to play with them and possibly lose money what the hell why would I give you that why would I I think you would give it to them for capitalist greed reasons of maybe they'll make you money 
And if they, they make don't. money, they have to give you some money. You don't they, know that they're hoping your business will fail. No, but they pocket the difference. They I pocket think the if difference. they make a profit, they have to give you some. Oh, they probably I have to know. give you some of it. But then... Like a tiny bit. Oh, right. But then they sell them on and then they buy them back. And I don't know. It's so confusing. I, it is confusing. And that, I think, is the whole point is that like yeah. this whole GameStop thing is that it's confusing to very few except the elite and then the everyday people figured it out and the elite got upset. So let's talk about GameStop. That is the, cool, that is the very cool part about this. It this is, it thing. is. So yeah. basically like we've discussed that hedge funds try to make money by timing when they think things are going to go down and up. So GameStop is kind of like JB Hi-Fi, like sells video games. It's literal translation in Australia is EB Games. GameStop owes EB Games. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, video games, it's a normal product. Yeah. And people are like, no one really wants video games anymore. It's probably going to go down. Yeah. And, and then the nerds united, right? And they're like, let's yes. buy all of the GameStop shares and screw the billionaires, you know? Exactly. So what happened was they could see that a big hedge fund called Melvin was trying to do a short on GameStop. They were trying to – they had GameStop shares and they were trying to get a loss on them and sell them back. They would bought heaps of them. They were hoping they'd crash. And then Reddit noticed and they're like, hang on a sec, like screw you big hedge funds – like you're making money and like we want to screw with you because screw you and (laughs) basically you know people from reddit all started buying the stocks just like ten dollars at a time and because they started buying them the way the stock market works is if there's more demand things grow in price and so they were all buying them and it made the price really sore Mm. which means the hedge fund are screwed because in the example I just said where originally 100 stocks cost $100 and then they were hoping to only have to pay $10. In this hypothetical example, $100 now costs like $10,000 more. Millions, billions. Like they literally lost billions. I know. Because the price went so high. I know. And it's just insane. But then the crazy part that happens next is not just this interesting thing that happened on reddit that they the little man screwed the billionaires as people Mm. like to be saying and there is some hilarious memes going around which i will um give some examples of shortly but i've actually missed the memes so like let's share them on our socials as part of our bonus content because i've missed those oh they're phenomenal um but the other part about this is that the powers that be who were in control of the share market and whatnot then said stop we're gonna have to shut down this um what's it called robin hood which is where everybody buys the shares which is just literally like an app or something it's like an app like yeah so a lot of people in australia like use something called comsec which is commonwealth bank and this thing in america was called robin hood and like Obviously, Robin Hood means steal from the rich to give to the needy. But instead, this Robin Hood app was like, oh, the rich people are upset. Stop the poor people from buying shares. And they like shut it down. 
Yeah, so they effectively so stopped ironic. every. They they effectively stopped everybody from buying because what the Reddit <laughs> GameStop thing did was throw out the balance of what the billionaires were doing, which screwed everybody over. But it threw everything out so much that everyone was like, whoa, like this is really changing the market. And everyone gets upset Mm. when the billionaires start losing money and everything. And they're like, you can't just manipulate things like this. And it's like, hang on a minute. This is literally what you do. Shorting the market, which even though I don't understand it, it's like theoretical play monopoly money. You pretty much theoretically have a bunch of stuff that you sell for a bunch of money and if it fails, you still make money or you don't and it's just a roll of the dice and you may as well give it a go, you know, because they've just got so much money. They're constantly manipulating the market, constantly. And just because a Reddit thread did this and just because a bunch of internet savvy nerds you know, decided to do this, it's like, well, all power to them. I mean, whether it's going to assist the company is a totally another story because um, GameStop, unfortunately, is still very likely to um, go bankrupt at some point. Like video games are just not happening anymore. So this whole thing Mm. is not actually helping the company that much. But But it's screwing with the hedge funds, which it's screwing with the hedge funds, which you know we support. You know, so (laughs) yeah. I think it's really interesting the whole thing about manipulating the market, and that is kind of the key thing. And that is the issue that I mentioned at the start that both sides of politics are agreeing on. So the notorious AOC, who we love, yep, who's progressive, and Ted Cruz are both like Robin Hood can't do that, like. You can't stop people using the free market. You know, we need a Senate inquiry into this. And the it's whole like you question didn't, you of- didn't launch a Senate inquiry when the billionaires made money off of other stuff and manipulated exactly. heaps, of mar- heaps of the no, market. No, no, they want a Senate inquiry of stopping it. Well, of stopping the manipulation of the market, you mean? Of, of the, no, of the fact that they weren't allowed to buy stuff. Right. Okay, yeah. so they're agreeing on something good, which is that we're f- that finally, yeah, yeah. although this was originally a let's screw with the billionaires type thing, it's now turned mm. into, hang on, someone stepped in and shut this down because the little people did, you know, got one over the billionaires. But then it's like, hang on, if you guys are already manipulating the market and we can't, there needs to be exactly. some serious rules put in place. And it's only because the people of Reddit did something random that it affected the market so much that they're actually making Senate inquiries into stuff. Like, isn't it insane that they had to get to this point? I mean, I just find that remarkably insane Mm. that this amount of money can just, I mean, it's not good. It doesn't go unchecked, but like there should have been a Senate inquiry prior to this. I'm fairly sure, (laughs) you know? Yeah, it's so true. And it's been just like a really big, um, shock to people but it kind of shouldn't be and it's like no not at all yeah you know the people have just beat the elites at their own game and figured out how to use the system but um the basic seasons of the internet have aligned (laughs) exactly something i thought was interesting in like basically determining this question of like are these Reddit people manipulating the market? I heard a lawyer talking about it and he's like, it's all about mens rea. And I was like, mens rea, I've heard that before somewhere. 
And I remembered Legally Blonde. Legally Blonde. Yeah. Yes. First of all, I would like to point out that not only is there no proof in this case, but there's a complete lack of um, mens rea. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, in that definition, is there vicious will? And it's like, okay, can you say the fact that people on Reddit are trying to not help the rich get richer, you're saying that's vicious will, but the rich just trying to get richer and richer at the expense of everyone else is not vicious will? Like how do you decide what is and isn't the free market and how can you justify only meddling when the rich people are the ones losing out for once? Oh, that was so well said, Grace. That actually makes so much sense to me. Yeah, that was what an ethical question. Oh, just so, so interesting. So look, there's so much on this, but um, one of my favorite things that I have heard um, or seen that's come out of this was a meme. It was like (laughs) what baby boomers did in their 20s. It was like (laughs) buy a house. Um, get a job, you know, uh, have some children. And then it's like what millennials did with their 20s and 30s. <laughs> Fuck with billionaires for fun. <laughs> yes, buy GameStop. <laughs> Just so good. There are so many fantastic memes. Again, we will be sharing these on socials. We will share them on the socials. I love the memes. I hope some of that made sense. And I also just want to reiterate that we are not experts. Do not take our financial advice. Read the Barefoot Investor. Like, yeah. Get educated. It's a feminist issue. But I think that is basically what happened with GameStop. Yeah. Really good summary. Okay. But I can't wait any longer. We must okay. <laughs> go to trash <laughs> immediately. Yes. It's time. It's time. <laughs> Trash, promising young woman. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Was that the sound of you cracking a beer? Um, no, it's not a beer. It's something that somebody left in my fridge, which I'm very appreciative of. It's called Juicy Juicy Grapefruit Boozy Seltzer. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, this is appropriate. <laughs> I agree. That does feel appropriate for a film about, you know themes around young women and alcohol consumption is a theme yes it is or lack thereof it later transpires and we're just going to make this really clear we gave as much warning as we possibly could this time for spoilers and there's no way we can really talk about this without spoiling it we hope you've seen our posts about this and if not you might want to just fast forward 25 minutes and join us in hills Yeah, this is one that, you know, I don't want to spoil anything for you. If you can go in blind, do it. Trust us. Just watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. Now, Grace, I'm so excited to hear what you thought. (laughs) What did you think? Um, so I watched it last night after much petitioning from you. It's good. It's really good. Yes. I don't want to disappoint you, but I don't 
think it's as original as I think you made out to be in your recommendation. Like, I think oh. it's similar to the plot of other revenge films, like uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and Hard Candy. I felt like it was kind of like the plot, the concept's been done before, but it was executed very well. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of things that aren't original. I mean, how many original ideas? Um, There's like this, uh, I can't remember who came up with it, but there's a theory that there are only like six themes that you can ever do in any story. And any story is a variation of one of those six things. But it's the execution, it's the nuance, it's how you do it. And honestly, um, I I see your point. I haven't seen The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo or read the books, but I have seen Hard Candy, which for Mm. those who haven't seen it, is about a girl who pretends to be a victim to a pedophile and then um, sort of psychologically tortures him as revenge. Uh, In The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, what happens? What does she do? Uh, So it's a person that has raped her and she ties him up and tattoos I'm a rapist pig on him and it's, like, terrifying and hard candy's terrifying. And Promising Young Woman... It's not terifying. It says it's a comedy thriller, which I thought was weird because I don't think it's really funny. Mm. Like it's it's got like it's, light moments, but it's pretty serious. Like it is a really like I do I don't want to detract from it. Like I think everyone should watch it. And the way it is nuanced is really good. Like I think the most impactful and really interesting thing they did was the casting. Yes. And we probably need to cover the plot just in case some of the listeners aren't going to watch it. I was just about to say, I'm going to go backwards. So before we get into it, because I just, I have so much gushing and convincing to do, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I need to recap the plot first and also a little bit about who directed and wrote the film. Oh, now, Camilla Parker Bowles. Camilla Parker Bowles, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> The wonderful woman called Emerald Fresnel, also known as Camilla Parkerballs in the Crown <laughs> Season 4. <laughs> so she's this phenomenal film director. If you've watched Promising Young Woman, you might think it seems a little similar to another show you might have come across called Killing Eve. I totally agree with you. Because Phoebe Waller-Bridge mm. actually handpicked Emerald Fresnel to run Killing Eve as the showrunner on that. So it's got a very similar vibe. Now, Killing Eve was also described as a black comedy thriller. We've had a few other oh. films. Um, interestingly, it's a it's a new genre. It's the new genre. It's winning everything at the moment. People are really taking black comedy thriller and running with it. There's another example, um, Parasite, a black comedy mm. thriller. There's another example, Get I Out. I think that more works. That is actually funny. I didn't think Promising Young Woman was laugh out loud funny. No, but black comedy is not necessarily funny all the time. Mm, that's but true. I, I did 100% laugh out loud at times, like absolutely did. But, but um, you laugh at everything. We've covered that on the podcast before. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Our listeners are just like, stop laughing all the time at everything. Um, <laughs> During serious I know, I'm trying to tell myself that. Um, but there is so much that has gone into the creation of the film. Mm. So Emerald, Emerald Fennell, this is her directional debut of a feature film. 
It's been nominated for a Golden Globe and mark my words, it will be nominated for everything else. So for people that haven't seen it and aren't planning to see it, they're happy just to get spoiled. What's the premise of this film? Sure. Sorry. Side gush. (laughs) All right. So the plot is about a woman, a promising young woman Mm. who uh, it's implied she had a best friend who was the victim of a sexual crime and somebody took advantage of her while she was intoxicated Mm. and it is then strongly suggested that said friend has died or perhaps committed suicide since that but it is not actually explicitly stated at any point Mm. but that's the implication I think the fact she died by suicide is the implication yeah absolutely yes um but they never say it they no. also never. They also never say what she does. But uh, what? Um, so her friend's name is Nina, and the main woman who was Nina's best friend is called Cassie, and they were absolute best friends. You know, diehard uh, Thelma, Thelma and Louise, best hmm. best friends, and she essentially feels so hurt by the fact that her friend died and that. It's because essentially men have taken advantage of her that she wants to teach people a lesson. She wants to teach men a lesson. Mm. So she goes to a club every night, pretends to be blackout drunk and slurring her words and everything and then someone offers to take her home or something like that and make moves on her and she is too drunk to consent, which is the whole Mm. idea. But actually she is stone cold sober and if you've seen the trailer you know, there's a point at which they cross a line. Mm. What that line is, she decides at the time. And then she says, I said, what are you doing? And it is just, yeah. you see the shock on their face and it's, it's so just creepy. like, oh. And then she goes home, puts on a scrunchie that you assume is Nina's scrunchie. And she writes in her, <laughs> I'm going to call it a kill book, but it, you know, mm, it is it not is explicitly like stated at any point that she kills anybody. And she's got blue lines and she's got red lines, if you notice, Grace. And so the red lines, it's implied that perhaps she kills those people or she hurts them. And the blue lines, oh, really? she doesn't. That Well, it's I implied, Grace. It's implied. It's, you know, it's all... It's all there. It's all there. All the clues. Mm, yes, but it doesn't actually get said. And that's the ho- and that's the whole point. Like Emerald Fennell, that was her choice. She didn't want to explain that. And sometimes she was like, she want if a person had so one of these boys who she takes home, perhaps crossed a line, but didn't you know commit a crime or the sort of not do anything horrendously terrible but she just wants to teach them a very strong and serious lesson she just freaks them out mm. she freaks them out and that is the purpose for them to think holy shit and she wants them to second guess themselves and so it's quite successful I mean, you that know. wasn't the impression <laughs> I got of all of those encounters apart from the end uh was that that was what was happening every weekend. I did not pick up on that red line, blue line thing that there might have been more violence. Well, the lines that we saw were all blue. Right. In the show. Yeah. But there's red lines in that book, Grace. There's red lines. Yep. 
<laughs> and it's a big ass book so she's been at it for a while cassie they call her a promising young woman because she was a med student and now she lives at home with her parents she turns 30 she forgets her own birthday she works in a coffee shop and she gives absolutely no shits about anything mm. other than her best friend died and she's obsessed with revenge and and she's filled with rage about mm. against men and against you know, the abuse of power of men and women in these situations and the blurred lines of consent and the fact that, you know, guys can come across as good guys, but actually they're not. And people are like, oh, and these boys that she runs into are like, oh, but I'm a good guy. And she's like, are you? Are you though? Are you really? Do you really think you are? Mm. Oh, it's just perfection, Grace. So it yeah, the way they played on the nice guy thing, I think was the best part of the film and the casting oh. for that was genius. The fact that they deliberately chose all these nice guys from TV. So um, brilliant. Seth Cohen from the OC, two love interests of Veronica Mars, I might add. Uh, Piz mm. from Veronica Mars was Elle Monroe. Um, oh, and he is yeah. the nicest on Veronica Mars. He's so lovable and he's in a few other things as really lovable roles. And yes. um, Schmidt from New Girl as well. He's also in Veronica Mars. Schmidt Mars's from New Girl's in it? Yeah. But it was genius why, how they did that because it meant you immediately identified with these men and you were like, oh, they're probably all right. Like some part inside yeah. me like wants to forgive them. And that is what happens in society we do side with the men and we do want the best for them or whatever, like as a society. I'm not saying that's our opinions. I'm saying that is what we see play out. And, yeah, that was so clever. And hashtag not all men, yada, yada. But, you know, the broader societal this is a problem of, you know, most commonly men against most commonly women in these situations and – them taking advantage of that and the blurred lines of consent you know don't always necessarily have a clear-cut outcome I mean we've heard so much about this in the Me Too movement it is Mm. totally 100% going with the times on this as in you know it's been sparked by the Me Too movement and the blurred lines of consent all the conversations around that and you're right the casting was phenomenal because Every time you saw a boy in this movie that did something that was questionable, you were like, oh, but I love that character. But he's a good guy. When Schmidt Schmidt was like, it'll be okay, you know. Um, So massive, massive spoiler. Mm, But um, we need to talk about it. I want to talk about it But we have to talk about it. She dies at the end. Cassie dies at the end. She gets murdered by um, the person who she's trying to exact some physical revenge on at his Bucks party who is played by Piers from Veronica Mars, whoever that actor is. <laughs> he smothers and he's her the with the one that raped her best friend, Nina. And he's, and he's handcuffed to the bed so he can't even remove himself. Um, but he, he, he smothers her with his knees and a pillow and it's just like, what the hell? You know, you sort of think, oh, my God, there's going to be something else that happens here. Surely she's not dead. Surely she's not dead. I think I said that to myself mm. several times. And anyway, after that... Schmidt comes up in the morning and he's like, oh, my God, you had sex with the stripper because she pretends to be a stripper because she's smart. Just quickly, the actor's name is Max Greenfield, but we're just going to call him Schmidt. We know his name's Max, but, like, you know him (laughs) as Schmidt. We know him as Schmidt. We all know him as Schmidt. Yeah. (laughs) And he comes in and he's like, it's going to be okay, bro. 
it's okay. You're not a bad person. And he's like, mm. I am. He's like, this isn't your fault. And then he goes, yeah. and you see the look on his face and there is this wonderful moment, Grace, where he goes, oh, as in he thinks it is his fault. But then Schmidt goes, slaps his face and he goes, no, it's not. No, yeah. it's not. And this is, I've heard Emerald, Emerald Fennell, the director and writer herself, explain this is an exemplification um, of the bro code, you know, to its fullest extent, the cover mm. up and how men will cover up this stuff for each other because it's kind of look out for your bros, you know? Yeah. And also it's what you're supposed to say to a victim survivor after they're assaulted. Like this wasn't your fault. This wasn't yes. your fault. But yet throughout this whole thing, throughout this whole film, the theme is all about victim blaming and like, women put themselves in these situations when they drink too much and women bring this on themselves and it's flipped so many times. My favourite time that that premise was flipped was with Connie Britton's daughter. Oh, my God. That is my favourite scene too, Grace. I knew it would be yours. Yeah. That was amazing. Um, So basically (laughs) it's like Cassie, the main protagonist, uh, gets this teenage girl to get in her car because she says she's a makeup artist for like a boy band and the girl drives away and then it changes scene and you kind of forget that that happened and then she's talking to the dean who kind of was dismissive of the original rape allegations and just protected uh the perpetrator and they're talking and connie Britton, who we obviously all love from nashville and She's the perfect I, counselor, perfect coach's wife. Tammy perfect, Taylor. Yeah, yep. perfect um, country singer, beautiful mom. America's mom. And she's like, you know, girls really put themselves in a dangerous situation. I can't ruin men's lives by accusing them. And then Cassie's like, oh, by the way, your daughter is in the room that my friend was raped in. Don't you remember what room it was? I told you what room it was. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it was absolutely phenomenal. And I thought, I wonder what she's going to do here. Like, I wonder what she's going to do. And then I, when that happened, I didn't quite see it coming. Like, I knew she I was going to do... I didn't see it do, coming at all. I knew she was going to do something with that girl, but I didn't quite know who that girl was. So I was trying to piece it together. And then when I realized she was like, oh, but she's in that room, I thought she definitely would have been in the room. Same. But she wasn't. She just left her at a cafe thinking that a boy band was going to turn up. But she just freaked her out and had a – she wants people to have, like, a moment of holy shit, oh, my God. Like, she just – her whole purpose is to freak people out for And you know what? That's why I kind of – I mean, we can interpret the red lines and blue lines. We're never going to know the truth. But I personally don't think all those red lines were her killing or hurting people. I think she genuinely was just freaking people out. It's like I think that is what happened because it also happens with another famous actor, Alison Brie, who plays a bystander called Madison. And when this happened, I thought this was completely awful what she did to Madison. Like it is. It's like... Yeah. Horrendous. But then it transpires that it wasn't really as bad as it seemed. Again, for those who haven't seen it but don't give a shit about spoilers, um, what she does is she has lunch with this uh, Madison person who was a bystander at the time, laughed and called Nina, I think, a slut and all that sort of thing and was complicit in 
the events basically. Mm. And gets her day drunk. Gets her day drunk and then she basically hires someone to take her up to a room and, and then make her believe that she's slept with someone that she doesn't remember, but she hasn't. Like this man is hired, but she, her whole... But the viewer doesn't learn that until... Viewer doesn't know that until a while later. You kind of think yeah. that she actually... Yeah, you don't really... You don't really know. And yeah, it is absolutely awful because, you know, she believes and then she doesn't take her phone calls. And actually Cassie at the um, at that moment when Madison just shows up at her house and then she said, I'm sorry I didn't take your calls. You know, what I did to you to freak you out, you know, nothing happened. That wasn't nice of me. And mm. she's sort of having a self-reflection. You know, she's sort of having a self-reflection and thinking maybe I need to stop this. Because another theme is this, you know, what does hanging on to hate and revenge do to you? Because her friend, you know, who died, she's sort of holding her up as a martyr and then, you know, destroying her own life to just get her own personal revenge. But she's not doing anything with her life. She's not motivated. You know, she's completely consumed. And she's completely consumed with rage, which is an, is an emotion a lot of people do understand and recognise. And what she does to Madison, she probably thinks that's not even a drop in the ocean compared to what happened to Nina, her friend. So yeah. she's thinking on, on a level of, you know, one to bad, it's not even that bad. But it is terrible. Like she's, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't, you know, two wrongs don't make a right sort of thing. But in her mind, that's what the character believes. That's what she believes, that she is giving people a taste of their own medicine but not as bad. You know, she just wants to teach as many people a lesson so that they don't go on to do shitty things to other people and maybe learn Mm. a lesson or two. But her whole life has been just taken over by this and it's kind of – it's a really sad movie. It's like Nina lost her life but so did Cassie, like long before she was murdered. It was um, it was interesting. One of the most beautiful lines I cried in it when her dad says to her, "You know, we loved Nina." Um, because, sorry, another part that I should have covered is that Cassie forms a relationship with a guy who she used to go to school with or university with, mm-hmm. and she starts to believe that he's lovely because she doesn't trust men, you know, and mm-hmm. he's gorgeous and sweet and kind, and they fall in love, and she introduces them to him to her parents and. They say, it's so nice to see you again. She's, they're mm. like, you know, we we loved Nina just like she was our own daughter and, and we miss her so much, but we've really missed you. You know, because she's yeah. just, that's the first time she's acted like herself since yeah. Nina passed away and it's just, it's so beautiful and it is so sad, you know, mm. but it's just so well executed. It's so honest and it's so freaking entertaining and smart at the same time like I just thought it was so gorgeous to look at it was so sleek Um, I love the soundtrack the soundtrack Spice Girls Paris Hilton Britney it was so good the the violin version of Toxic which is in the trailer that was then slowed down to a fourth of the speed in the finale when she goes to the house Mm, in the nurse costume and it's like oh just phenomenal. I, I just, I can't gush enough. I think it was just so well done. Even um, what was another great moment that happened when she speaks with one of the guys who she meets at a bar, takes home 
and he's kissing her and then she snaps out and she's like, oh, you know, you know, what are you doing? I said, stop. Mm -hmm. And he realizes and he's freaked out and he's like, oh my God, are you going to kill me? You're going to kill me. And she's like, he's like, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And then she's like, what's my name? Yeah. What do, what do I even do? But we have what such are my a hobbies? connection. Like uh, we're having such a good night. We had such a good connection. Wow. Yeah. And he, and she's like, no, we didn't actually. You know nothing yeah. about me. You know, like it was just, it just, it hit so many nails on the head. And yes, I know it's not the first revenge movie, but it's pretty f-ing original. <laughs> Like it's pretty darn good. I just it's very well paced. I definitely really enjoyed it. Um, so you spoke about the guy she's like falling in love with, mm. and while I was watching it, I was kind of thinking like, and you know, we can interrogate and tear this opinion apart. But this is what I was thinking. I was like, they just need like one good guy because if they make this guy into an asshole as well, this film is a caricature. And then, spoiler alert, they reveal that that guy was also present at the rape um, and is complicit in it. And then he kind of becomes an asshole after that. Like, I feel like they could have done a more nuanced thing if he was more like, you know, it's been 10 years and the Me Too movement and I totally think about that differently now and, like, I've, you know... But instead, they were just like, "Okay, he's a bad guy now," and I think which like, I saw totally saw totally saw that coming. I still gasped at the um, realization moment, mm. but I'm calling bullshit on your opinion, Grace, because yeah, look, as I said, I said we can tear it apart, but I'm just saying that's what I was thinking. Well, I'm going to tear it apart because there is one good guy. Do you remember the lawyer? The lawyer. The lawyer, the lawyer yeah. was exactly what you said. It just wasn't her love interest. So she pretty much goes to this lawyer who represented the rapist at the time. And um, what she does is she goes there, he opens the door and he's this kind of alcoholic. He looks like he's washed up. He's just totally, mm. you know, he's not having a good, good old time. And she, he opens the door for her and she says, it's your day of, it's your day of reckoning. And then he says, I knew this day was coming because he has actually had an epiphany and he has and yeah. actually self-reflected and learnt and feels terrible for about the, fact the role he played and he about the role he played and, and he actually is genuinely sorry. He's genuinely sorry. And she, that's the first time she was genuinely like, I forgive you. Oh yeah. Mm. She was taken aback. She's like, Oh my God. You know, because the whole, the, her whole purpose is to make people realize what they did because mm. in her mind, nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. She wants people to care. And he really cared to the point where he was, you know, you know, pretty much destroying his own life, pretty much similar to her. And he was consumed mm, and all consumed true. by this. And she saw that and she was like, Oh my God, I'm totally shocked. And, it was just brilliant. That is definitely one scene I totally didn't see coming. Did not see that mm. coming at all. And I thought it was brilliantly done. And there was no sort of revenge because I thought maybe he'll apologize and she'll still do something to him. But mm. she said, I forgive you and left. Like, And the like hitman was waiting outside and she's like, stand down. <sighs> I've heard this described by... Um, Anna Faris on her podcast as a perfect perfect movie and 
I 100% agree. I don't know. I don't know. I keep changing which movie is my favorite movie of all time, but I'd say this is possibly it. It is a very, very good movie. It's interesting that on the podcast uh, that Anna Faris is on where she describes it as a perfect movie, she gushes and gushes about it. She's actually interviewing Emerald Fennell and Kerry Mulligan on the podcast. And Mm. I listened to then another film review podcast, just the first 10 minutes, but it was a different uh, group of critics. It Mm. was two men and one lady, but I suppose less gushy about the movie. They definitely still Mm. said, oh, it's really interesting, but the description was so different they basically sort of introduced it like yeah it's quite interesting it's quite quirky Uh, and the men were sort of like yeah it's quite a divisive film and I listened to that and I was like divisive divisive this is what this is reality dudes like are you serious so interesting though because they haven't felt that rage and injustice that you were talking about and so it doesn't resonate they don't walk around thinking that they could be taken advantage of for have a few too many drinks, you know, like, yeah. yeah and I just thought how interesting that they're like, oh yeah, That's it's really quite, interesting. A, quite a different, quite a divisive film. But then I sort of was like, oh, maybe I'm being too harsh because, you know, I, Trump supporters aren't going to like this film. So <laughs> I mean, we are in a feminist bubble. I think most of our we listeners are. of the pod, we're feminists, we're like super into yeah. this film, but not everyone no. is ready to hear a film like this. And maybe these, you know, maybe these interview these podcast hosts are also feminists, but they just didn't have the gusto and the feelings that I think women have had because all of the other appreciation of this film I have had just and heard emphatic responses like my own. Mm. Just emphatic, passionate, rage-driven responses like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's brilliant, it's perfect, da-da-da-da-da, because it just totally nails the tone and everything so yeah I definitely think everyone needs to watch it like it's a really important movie to watch and not only is it important it's like really enjoyable like in a creepy way I don't know like it's not it will keep your attention and Carrie Mulligan phenomenal choice something we haven't talked about that's quite um big news is that there was a famous film review of this in Variety magazine where they said they didn't think Kerry Mulligan was pretty enough for this plot. Yes. And it's filmed, uh, the film was also produced by Margot Robbie, which we haven't mentioned, one of Australia's treasures. And this film critic was like, you can kind of imagine that, you know, they probably wrote this with Margot Robbie in mind, but then they got Carrie Mulligan. And is it like really believable that she would be picking up someone every weekend? It's like... Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And also it's like She's the whole stunning. thing of like, you're not pretty enough to be raped. And that's oh. like a terrible premise in itself. But then also the fact she is just beautiful. But I also think it's a plot point because in the final scenes when Al Munro doesn't recognize her, and she's like, yeah, you probably don't recognize me. I wasn't, you know, that hot back then. Whereas like, Margot Robbie yeah. would be recognised in every room she's ever been in. You know what I mean? Yeah. And look, Kerry Mulligan is absolutely stunning, but I think that uh, totally not the point. She's also an incredible woman, an incredible mm. actress, and she responded to this really well. Um, I can't 
recall her exact quote, but just have a look mm. have a look at it. Yeah, she um, called we it could, out. She called it out and she just defended it in the most eloquent way while not being like, I'm pretty, you know, it was just she just explained it so well and she was like, that is so not the point. And also, yeah. And also, like, she was like, that hurts my feelings. Like, I wish it didn't, but, like, that's a rude thing to say. But also, yeah, that's not is. the point. <laughs> <laughs> it's also not the point. I always, I also just could not stop looking at her face. I just thought yeah. she was the most amazing thing and I'm obsessed with her. I actually, for somehow, like, didn't know who she was before this film. Don't know how. Mm. Don't know how, but completely missed it except for that, yeah, Great Gatsby. <sighs> Well, this is like a hundred times better than Great Gatsby. Like everyone does need to yeah. watch this. It was they really good. do. Like I don't want to give you the wrong impression when I started out on negative. <laughs> I was just trying. You know, we had like we had really done a lot of recommending this show, so I just had to like get that off the chest. <laughs> but also, like I had done a lot of gushing to you personally about it. Oh yeah. So perhaps like, you all were we've talked about, something. and I hadn't seen it for the first month of our conversations. <laughs> <laughs> So perhaps you were expecting, you know, some sort of mind um, monstrous, mind-blowing film. To me, it was monstrous and mind-blowing, but you not didn't in the have way, high expectations. But, no, I absolutely did, and it met them. But it was totally mm. not in the way that I thought. I thought it was going to be more gory and more explicit, and there was none me of that. Me too, and I'm glad it wasn't because, <laughs> like, Hard Candy and Girl with a Dragon Tattoo are both like terrifying. very gory. But I also think that was it's way smarter. And harder yeah. to do it without the gore. And I thought, how effing smart. I just... I'll pay that. I'll pay that. I think it was very, very clever. And like, it's definitely going to spark some important yeah. conversations. Oh, it's just so good. I have so much more I could say, but I would need, mm. you know, three and a half to a whole series. Um, <laughs> we could do season four just on Promising Young Women. <laughs> Episode right. one, soundtrack. <laughs> Episode two, analysis of the red and blue lines. <laughs> um, the fact that the whole film um, was filmed in 27 days and they had a tiny budget. Um, just another little fact to throw in Episode there. Episode four, they never used the word rape. Yeah, every scene could be um, a poster. It's just It just pops. Um, yeah, okay. Enough. How about we go and die on some hills? Yeah. I think we need to call this to a close. <laughs> it was fantastic, but I really want to know what hill you're going to die on this week. <laughs> okay. So the hill I'm willing to die on this week, I'm sorry, I'm going to break a lot of hearts. It's... Oh. It's something that's just come to my attention and I feel the need to spread the word. I don't even know how to say this, but the jam in hot jam donuts, it's not strawberry or raspberry jam. It's apple sauce. (gasps) Do you know this? No. This is a real thing. They admitted it last year and I just heard about it from a friend the other day and we were out and we bought donuts and we ate them. And they're right. It's literally applesauce. But it's red. It's just applesauce with red food dye. Apparently, it's a smoother texture that customers like. That is true. I did always think if I was to put jam inside a donut, it would be like squidgy like a jam tart. But it's not. It's all runny. It's runny. Jam's not runny. 
But if but it is runny. Is Have you ever made jam from scratch? It's runny as hell. Yeah, well, go eat a jam donut because it's applesauce with red food dye. And I'm sorry, but it is. And that's a fact. <laughs> I'm so sorry, everyone. It's not going to be the I same mean, next time you taste different. one. It does taste different, doesn't it, to normal jam now that I'm thinking about it. But they're called hot jam donut. Does everybody do this? When you say they, is it a specific company or is it everyone? Oh. Are they all in on this? Are they all in on this? Look, I feel like it was one of the big chains that admitted it to a newspaper about a year ago, like your Wendy's or your something. But mm. apparently it is quite common in the industry. And I was just at a random um, show that I'm going to get to when I get to my recommendations where I tasted the donut um, and it had apple in it. It's a betrayal. And this is a conspiracy. We should tell the people at QAnon. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what they'd think about this. Probably Hillary <laughs> had something to do with it. I'm sure uh, she it did. It is definitely Hillary. Yeah. And the 5G. It's like... Jam donuts are not jam. They are like oh. the blood of victims of child trafficking <laughs> ah, by <it's>, Hillary. <laughs> oh, no, I've got it. It's the blood of the lizard people. Yeah. That's what it is. It's what it is. Trump <laughs> will bring back real raspberry jam donuts. He's coming. <laughs> and I'm sure that'll be terrible. Um, so <laughs> the hill that I'm dying on this week, the fact is Irish accents are the best accents on the planet. And um, pretty much Irish people are just funnier. They're funnier because they've got a musical language that sounds fantastic to speak with. Um, All of their banter just sounds hilarious. And their expressions are funnier. Their delivery's funnier. Everything's just better in an Irish accent. It just is. Yeah, you know what? I completely agree. I yeah. think I'm surprised it's taken you so long to talk about this. Um, it's just because this is something that you've said before hundreds of times. Yeah, personally, off the microphone, and like a hundred percent, I agree for sure. I just, you know, it's. I didn't think it was something I needed to address. I just thought it was something that the world. But no, knew. not everyone knows. Not but not knows. everybody knows. And it, look, I was reminded of it by the phenomenal podcast that I recommended on last week's podcast called "Let's Solve Nothing," and oh my god, these women again, just phenomenal. <laughs> so <laughs> funny. And I do have to bring up a fun fact that when I used to work in my sales job. Uh, where I was one of those horrendous people uh, where I accosted you in the middle of a shopping centre or out the front of a supermarket and pretending to sell it well. Selling you charity. What do they call them? Charity sluggers, chuggers or something. Chuggers, yeah, charity sluggers. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was one of those horrible people, made commission only. I was desperate. I was a desperate person. It was basically a pyramid scheme cult. Um, Don't horrible. do it. You earned oh $3 an hour, we later realised. We later realised. I worked like 72 hours a week. If you broke down my hours over the seven months that I worked there, which... And the commission and they sell it yeah. to you. Roughly mm. $2.98 an hour I made if you if you equaled it out. Anyway, I was desperate and I was surrounded by travellers. A lot of them were Irish because only people who are not necessarily Australian with a lot of other job opportunities would mm. do this horrendous job. And... Mm-hmm they make more money because everyone loves an Irish person, don't they? So I just pretended to be Irish and I made more money. Am I proud and of I it? And I think you're obviously oh. going to have to do that little impression for us. <laughs> Imagine I'm in the supermarket. What would you say to me right now? 
excuse me, just before you scoot past me there, quick question for you. <laughs> Thank you Sold. so much for Take stopping. my credit card. <laughs> and actually, I have been pulled. I have been pulled up by people who I stopped who were Irish. <laughs> really? Yeah. And you know what? I was like, look, I'm not Irish, but everyone loves Irish people. So I know I'm not going to be able to pull this off with you, but. I make more money if I'm but Irish you should because still everyone be loves Irish people. Bloody flattered, yeah. Yeah, and then they're like, fair play to you, like, you know? Like, they're just like, Aww. they just, they're so funny. They have no shame. And just another plug for that hilarious podcast. If you haven't listened to it, what are you doing? Go and listen to it. Um, I'm super excited about this whole <laughs> Irish accent thing. And I just need you to hold that thought for like 30 seconds because okay. I'm going to pick this Irish accent thing up again in my recommendation shortly. Oh, please. So my first recommendation this week I am obsessed with. It's like the best thing I've experienced in 12 months for sure. Okay. It's it's the musical Come From Away. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. I've heard about this. It's, it's on in Melbourne. We need to go. The reason I bought it up from your hill is the musical is set in Canada, but it's like this really random island in Canada that was like, colonized by Irish people so they're Canadians with Irish accents so the whole musical is in Irish accents oh so like it's like once but I mean obviously once is the best musical ever written like so this one is pretty good though but it's also because they're both Irish Grace I mean because they're Irish they just so Irish is just it's just it it's not a spoiler to explain just the premise of the setting of the musical it's quite famous so it's basically a true story um, set on September 11th, 2001, when obviously mm. the terrorist attacks happened and all the airports in America were closed because they're worried of more terrorist attacks. But meanwhile, there's like 50 planes in the air and where are they going to land? So they all get sent to this small town in Canada that only has a population of about 5,000 people and 7,000 plain people land in their town and it's about how the town deals with that and how they welcome them and there's only about 12 people in the cast and they play the passengers the townspeople like the plane crews like they play all these characters and I had full body chills watching it it was amazing like everyone needs to go see it it was so so good I'm so excited. I really want to watch it. I've Let's heard go, phenomenal. Seriously. I've heard phenomenal reviews and I actually don't even want to hear the soundtrack preemptively or anything. I think I just want to be surprised because, yeah, it just sounds that good. Yeah. What I've just said is not a spoiler. Like that happens within the first five minutes and that's quite well known as like why you'd be seeing this. But then it's like actually just, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Oh, great recommendation. Well, my recommendation is a semi-recommendation. So there's a podcast. Mm-hmm. There's a podcast. It's called So Dramatic. Have you heard of it or ever listened to it, Grace? Uh, we follow it on Instagram on our podcast. We do. Instagram. So, yes, I, I've seen it, but I don't really know what it is, no. Okay. So So Dramatic podcast is hosted by a woman called Megan Passetto, and she is essentially – gossip girl 
She ah. is essentially Gossip Girl. She knows effing everything about everyone and in, in reality TV. So she, she synopsis kind of recaps reality TV, celebrities and things, but all kind of reality stars, their personal lives, what's going on, what's the real goss, what's behind the scenes. And she often interviews people. She has so much to do with Jamie Doran, who was that one I recapped <laughs> last season about The Bachelor oh, yeah. in Paradise, who was the crazy one. Yep. The one that uh, packed his bags and left. Yep. She has um, spoken with Abby Chatfield. She's spoken with Jessica Power. She's spoken with uh, NASA. She's spoken with, I mean, there's so many, all the, you probably have no idea who these people are, Grace. No. um, I mean, as mentioned, I know Abby, despite never have watched a reality (laughs) show she's in, but just love her as a person. Look, my other hill is that, you know, this is a side hill. This is not actually the hill, but, you know, she was annoying. The fact is she was annoying in The Bachelor and I also respect. We might have to do a whole segment on this because like, no. Anyway, my point is, my point is this podcast, uh, I mean, I listen to it. I listen to every episode pretty much unless it's really people who I don't know from The Real Housewives or something that she's covering. But if it's to do with maths, if it's to do with The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor adjacent things, I'm in and I'm listening and she just gets everything right. She's kind of like the reality TV spoiler person that will never be wrong. Like she's very rarely wrong because she fact checks everything and she if she says something on her podcast, she's usually seen it. So even if there's like alleged text messages or something, she will read the text messages, but she won't necessarily necessarily expose the text messages, but she needs to see them in order for her to kind of announce something on her podcast. And people kind of come to her like she's the go-to or by people blocking her on Instagram is kind of how you know what the hell's coming up next on reality oh, really? TV because she's so good at stalking people and knows things about everyone and everyone comes to her with little bits of information she's almost got these little lemmings all out there in the world that just feed her information and she loves it she's like she's like reality tv god and so everyone blocks her on instagram if they're about to be on a reality show because channel 10 and channel 9 are like block this woman <laughs> block her <laughs> like you can't have her knowing that your is whereabouts so interesting because she's that good really <laughs> yes <laughs> she's like the puppet um, master she's the grandmaster. she's pretty much yeah like the queen's gambit of reality tv and um I don't know. Sometimes she really irritates me and irks me, um, but I've kind of grown to really like her. Um, Mm. There are things that sometimes I'm like, I don't know, but I do enjoy the podcast. I think she's, she's got some good points. I've learned to like her, but she specifically has, if you are not really interested in the podcast, but two very, very interesting episodes with Megan Marks, who was on Bachelor in Paradise and The Bachelor. Famously, she left The Bachelor in Paradise and she was um, in a relationship with uh, another contestant called Tiffany afterwards. So you would have seen this everywhere. It made, made worldwide headlines, actually, which is ridiculous because that's, you know, shouldn't be so groundbreaking, but it did. And they were in a relationship for about a year. Anyway, she's notoriously private, doesn't speak about anything outside of her being on those two shows and she finally is in 
two, a two-part interview series with Megan Pacetto on the So Dramatic podcast, and it is so revealing. She also grew up in a cult. Like, she grew up in an actual really? cult. Yeah. And it's really just fascinating how she became just who she is and she used to be married and she was so religious. She didn't start drinking until she was 21. But she's also just really honest. And um, she says the people are who they are on there. She's like, sure, maybe they don't show everything. She's like, there were lots of conversations that I had with people that were never shown. She's like, Mm. but I don't care. She's like, I didn't say anything that was that bad if anything was shown. Like everything that was shown did happen. You know? Yeah, they don't deep fake like an AI and make it say stuff. Everything that is on there, she's like, everything that's been shown is exactly how I think of those people. You know, she's like, I think we definitely need to do another reality TV episode because I still disagree. This is her opinion. This is her opinion. So it's really interesting to hear that because she's just like, no. Yeah, but is that because she came off good? So she's like, I think it's fine. No, but she has met a lot of these people and she's like, that is who, that's what they were like on the island. And it just reinforces my hill that not everything's about effing editing and that people always blame editing for how they came across. (laughs) I don't know. I still am with the disgruntled people. I, anyway, anyway, we clearly... All right, we're, we're going on a massive tangent. We're going on a big tangent, but interesting. <laughs> so dramatic podcast, good reco. Yes. Um, My final reco this episode is a bit of a re-recommendation in that you've already recommended it before. Oh. Uh, last week, it's the You're Wrong About Princess Diana series. It is really good. Yes, isn't it? It's really interesting. So um you liked it. Obviously, you would have caught up on our Diana and the Crown episode last week and something from this podcast that I just thought was so, so sad and really goes to our discussion about Prince Charles. They talk on this podcast about the funeral procession, which Harry has spoken about in the last few years, saying how traumatizing that was for him as a 12 year old and that he doesn't think that would happen now and they should have never made them walk. But it actually wasn't traditional for William and Harry to have to walk. Traditionally, it would have just been the Queen's husband, Prince Charles and Diana's brother, but Prince Charles made Harry and William walk with them because he didn't want to be booed by the public and he thought he'd be booed and if the kids were there, he wouldn't be booed. Oh, How heartbreaking is that? Oh, Yeah, it just disgusts me, you know? I feel like he just, you know, has no redeeming qualities, that man. (laughs) Well, funny you say that because uh, the reason I also had to bring it up was uh, we need to issue a retraction (laughs) to last week's episode Um, (laughs) because Charles literally does have no redeeming qualities. And in last week's episode, you had mentioned a really beautiful speech at Diana's eulogy by Prince Charles. Oh, I forgot I said that. Oh, yeah. So that speech was actually by Charles Spencer, Diana's brother. He did the eulogy and delivered the beautiful speech and Prince Charles didn't say anything nice. (laughs) Oh, my God. No way. They're both called Charles, so that is confusing. (laughs) Oh, so they're both named Charles. Oh, So I thought, 
Oh, that's really nice. He at least said some nice things at her funeral, but no, it he kind didn't of makes even sense that. that he didn't, though, doesn't it? Like it was. It makes more sense that that's not true. Now that you say that, I'm like, yeah, no, that did that did shock me. I mean, that's why I mentioned it. I think even in yeah. my recommendation because I was like, oh yeah, he had a redeeming quality. He said something no. nice, but no, no, he's just a sour puss that made his tiny grieving children walk alongside him so he didn't get booed by the crowd but um look there's heaps more fascinating insights like that in the podcast so definitely check it out it is really interesting love a good recommendation that um originally came from me so that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) now i've got another completely different one and i'll keep it short but um i didn't want to watch this show but i was convinced into doing so um, it's Chernobyl, the TV show. Oh, okay. There's only five, there's only five episodes. Is there? Um, Is that sure? Yes. Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know about Chernobyl, it's obviously the nucle- nuclear uh, power plant explosion that happened. Horrible disaster, obviously. Many, many people died. True story. Um, and I'm one very scream- squeamish and two was not quite in the mood for like a really, really sad story. Um, but look, there are, there are a few squeamish moments. I won't lie to you, but it is not the predominant part of the show. So you do see some squeamish stuff, but it is not the predominant thing. So that's only just here and there where you just need to avert your eyes. Um, but it is phenomenally well acted, well written. It's got like 98% on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Like it is one of, yeah, it's. It's doing very, very well in the critics and in the audience reviews. Um, really, really well acted. The guy who's who's the main scientist in it, um, he's played by the original king in The Crown in season one who died. Um, oh, okay. That guy. So I don't know what his name is, but he's absolutely brilliant in Chernobyl and it's really heartbreaking but so fascinating they really explain what happens you really get an understanding for what's going on and it's tragic but it is all-consuming like I just had to watch the next episode and I've watched a million YouTube videos and facts about Chernobyl and what really happened and um what's happening now and just it is just one of those stories that you just think I it sounds like something out of a sci-fi film but it's real totally okay fantastic show and where can we watch it unfortunately on Foxtel because Mm. I know that's expensive but just try and get a free trial or like I don't know go to your mate's house who's got Foxtel (laughs) great idea (laughs) it's worth it parents (laughs) Well, on that happy note, (laughs) I think that's all we have time for today. But we do have some happier topics for you next week. Yeah, so we couldn't go past talking about Ilaria Baldwin. (laughs) So we're going to talk about cultural appropriation in Treasury next week. Yeah, I mean, what a woman. Um, I have so many thoughts and (laughs) so much to say around this. But also we thought we could expand it to use some other examples and talk about cultural appropriation in general. And then we're finally talking about it. Bridgerton. We're yes. doing it. Can you hear the excitement in my voice? I'm so excited. 
Look, I mean, everyone has been talking about and watching Bridgerton. So we were like, obviously, this is a huge pop culture moment that we both need to watch. And we've watched it. We're going to talk about it next week. We haven't talked about it yet. Um, But look, from your voice, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation next week for sure. Mm. (laughs) Yes, I think it will be. And don't forget to keep an eye on our Instagram for those crazy memes and, of course, all of our recommendations. And we'll see you next Tuesday. (laughs) Just a reminder that we are savvy individuals and not experts. If you need some real advice, please contact someone who knows. Trash and Treasury is produced, authorised and sponsored by us because we did it ourselves. (laughs) 